Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast, brought to you by a writer and an agent who both believe that education is key. The beauty is the people you meet along the way, and that community makes all the difference. Here at the Manuscript Academy, you can learn the skills, make the connections, and have access to experts all from home. I'm Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Sinsheimer. Put down your pens, pause your word counts, and enjoy. So we have a very special guest here today who is here to talk not only about a very important organization in our industry, and there's so much going on, and you are out trying to be the difference in the world. So tell us more about you, about your organization, and what writers can know about this important topic. Well, first of all, I just wanted to say thank you so much again for having me. This is such a great opportunity. Um, And hello to everybody listening. I am Danielle Hunter. I am a junior agent at Macintosh Notice in the children's and YA department. Um, I work with picture books, middle grade, and YA. I am also a member of the Association of American Literary Agents, or AALA, and on their DEI committee as well, which is working to help get more diverse staff into the agenting business from the ground up. So I'm a junior agent, which means that I was assisting my boss for a really long time and had the opportunity to co-represent some clients with her as well. And now I'm just kind of like turned out into the world and I can start building my own list of books, which is so exciting. I work on everything from picture books to middle grade to young adult. My passion area is young adult, as I think it probably is for a lot of us, because like those are the books that were so incredibly formative when we were teenagers. So my list is probably going to skew mostly YA, second majority, middle grade, and then some picture books sprinkled in as well. I work on mostly contemporary. I'm open to genre touches, um, especially like contemporary fantasy, near historical, near dystopian. But yeah, contemporary is my big thing. And I know you probably wouldn't have guessed it by the fact that I'm a very bubbly person, but I really like the hard, dark, sad books. The really issue-driven ones that are very gritty and dark and don't get talked about as much as they should, because I really think that those are the books that when they're found by the readers will have the biggest impact. Well, and that is such a happy thing though, right? Because people will feel seen by that book and feel better and it will make them happier. So. Yeah. I mean, that's what I think. Uh, it might be a little bit hard to sell when I'm like sobbing on my couch reading a manuscript, but I do think it ends up being a lot happier in the end. Well, and that's an example of the passion, right? Like you feel so strongly that A, you are sobbing in reaction to it in a good way. B, you know it's going to be hard and you do it anyway. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I have, for exactly that reason, I have so, so much respect for authors who put those kinds of stories out into the world, especially because they're usually incredibly personal, like inspired by a very dark personal experience that these authors had and now want to sort of shine a light for teenagers going through the same thing. Well, that's really nice. Yeah, and feel less alone. Mm-hmm. I think um, that's one of the most powerful things books can do is find somebody who thinks that they must be the only person going through this horrible, awful, emotional thing and give them the story and show them that they're not by themselves and it will be okay. Right. And especially with teens because of social media, they feel like everyone's having a good time but them all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, social media certainly does have its good points and connects us all in really beautiful ways that we weren't before. But also I think it can be very isolating. Yeah. Though every so often TikTok has one of those like, have you been through this incredibly specific experience and you feel (laughs) this way about it? So does everyone. It's called this. And it's like, whoa. But it breaks your brain a little bit there. Yeah. (laughs) Every so often the algorithm is good. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And what helped you when you were starting out as an agent? Like what made it so that you were like, yes, this is the job for me. And what inspiration do you have for other people who are starting out as agents too? I sort of 
backed my way into agenting through a very long winding process. I've known that I wanted to be an agent since I was eight years old. I was a very strange kid, but uh, I had some pitfalls in college, including a brain surgery. So I didn't get that internship experience. I'm fine now. <laughs> Sorry, the face you just made. I'm, I'm totally fine now. Um, Minus a balance disorder. But uh, yeah, because of the time spent recovering, I didn't get the internship experience that I would have needed to get my foot in the door. So I worked kind of odd jobs in the publishing industry that were like adjacent to agenting or that I thought were close enough that I could maybe make the jump someday. So like being a writing tutor and working on literary journals and working at a submission service for authors, writing query letters for authors, things like that. And then eventually, finally, finally, finally got given the opportunity to read for my current boss's old assistant. And when she left the company, she passed me on to my boss. And then my boss eventually said she needed an assistant and it just really magically worked out for me. And they haven't been able to get rid of me ever since. So after my very long and winding process to get into agenting in the first place, I was really lucky to land with a boss who had very similar tastes and books to mine, very similar like political and ideological perspectives to mine. Um, we had similar goals for the publishing industry and really just made a wonderful partnership. So I think for anybody who lands somewhere where they don't necessarily have that good fit. They don't have a mentor who has the time or the bandwidth to give them what they need. They don't have someone whose interests and tastes align with theirs. It's out there. <laughs> Keep searching. If agenting is something that you feel that strongly drawn to, your voice and your perspective is one that the industry really needs and your experience is one that your authors will eventually need. So I know it may take a lot of other people long and winding paths as well, but I can personally attest that it's really worth sticking out. Thank you. Can you tell us a little bit more about like things that AALA does, why it's necessary for agents to have this organization, and just for the writers out there who are like, wait a second, I thought agents worked alone. Uh, no, agents actually uh, typically work at larger agencies, um, th though of course there are agents who have their own solo operations, um, but agencies can be anywhere from just one person big up to like hundreds of people big. Mine is a really small one personally. Uh, we're five people total. The AALA works, of agent works with agencies of all sizes and uh, works to place people at agencies of all sizes. I don't speak as a representative of the ALA, just an admirer. But to share a bit more, the ALA is the only trade association of literary agents, and Literary Agents of Change is the only nonprofit working specifically to expand equity and access to this segment of the book business. Diversity in publishing deeply matters, and it always has, because diverse authors deserve the opportunity to work with diverse publishing personnel. From the agents and editors, to the marketing and publicity people, everyone who's involved in working with their books. The industry is also set up with a lot of twists and gatekeeping in that authors often need literary agents to get access to the largest and most accredited publishers, making literary agents the first people who are screening manuscripts and deciding whether authors are publishable and capable of writing for wider audiences these publishers can reach. And so without diversity at the agent level, published work largely reflects the perspective of the majority white, majority cis-hat agent community. I think it's so interesting, one, that there's only one, you know, one one nonprofit kind of pulling people together and such a huge industry. So thank you for being you and for having this. Um, do you have a sense of before you all started looking into diversity and equity, what the stats were or the numbers around that were in the industry? I do know that through studies like the CCBCs and uh, Lee and Lowe's that the stats have never been great. The most recent CCBC numbers, I believe, said that 40% of books being published 
are by BIPOC authors um, or illustrators or compilers as well, which is better than it's been in years past, certainly, and does note that we're moving in the right direction, but also notes that there's still so, so much left to do. Yeah, we see those yearly stats of who's working in publishing, and it's just it's just not really happening that quickly. Yeah, yeah. I think change in publishing always kind of moves at the speed of molasses. And even now that a lot more of us are aware of the problems and really dedicated to changing the problems, there's still no roadmap or blueprint for the change that needs to happen. So we have a new agent coming to the industry. Paint a picture for us. Well, first of all, uh, publishing is a really mentorship-based industry, which is great in a lot of ways to be tutored so closely by an experienced agent if you can get that experience. However, on the flip side, internships are extremely important in publishing for that reason. Um, And most of those internships are either underpaid or unpaid totally. It's incredibly difficult for a student, especially a student coming from an underrepresented background, to break into the industry and take an unpaid internship that isn't going to allow them to have a concurrent job. Yeah, especially since you probably need two or three internships before you find someone who will hire you. The average salary in publishing is way below what a lot of people would consider a living wage in New York. So, so many people end up with second jobs, third job. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the longest time, everyone was afraid to talk about it. It was like this huge amount of shame. Like, what do you mean you didn't just launch yourself into having a number one New York Times bestseller that came out three months of you starting and publishing and suddenly the royalty checks are here instantly too? Like, what's wrong with you? Why didn't that happen? And mm-hmm. we know that that is just such a hard thing to do because, you know, you'll be assisting for years and then finally you'll get to take on some books. And then once you get to take on some books, then you know, it takes months and months to get a client and then months after that to edit and months after that to sell it and then a little while to do the contract and then months and months for you to get paid for all the different payments and then years for the book to come out. So it's just there's this huge amount of time where people have to make up the difference somehow. And then people wonder, why is it only people from privileged backgrounds who are here? Yeah, exactly. And yeah, just to touch on that same thing, after the unpaid internships, if you can, you know, find a way to make those work, a lot of agents who are just starting out don't make a salary. They make commission only. And so if they're not selling projects yet, they're just not making money yet, Um, which is where having so many extra jobs has to come in. But at the same time, as they're trying to advance their agenting career, that just means they're taking on more and more responsibility. So it's just like a constant debt of energy and resources. Well, it's so interesting too, when we we, we hear people upset or rightfully so in some ways, because we have writers that put their hearts, sweat and tears into these books, but then we have agents that are just like I got I have to go get a sandwich I'm starving right I mean it's such what other industry do we ask people to work for free work on the weekends you know get second and third jobs just to pay the basic mortgage and this this actually means that we're not even talking about student loan which and then you know how much does it cost even to get a degree in publishing tell us about that and one corrective so we have two different programs not mortgage (laughs) one corrective yeah did I say mortgage I said I said, I think I said sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) You said both. But one, one point to note is that it's not, I mean, I'm sure there are some people who are paying mortgages, but a lot of the time it's like, how can I just pay rent in this very expensive city where I'm required to live to have my job? Yeah. I mean, I live in New Jersey outside the city and I even have a rent that's like sky high. So I can't imagine for people who are actually in the heart of the city. That being said, I certainly do prefer talking about sandwiches to talking about rent. So, (laughs) Well, sandwiches are more attainable. (laughs) That too. 
Um, but anyway, to go back to the question, we have two different programs that we're trying to foster more diverse agents entering the field with. The first is the fellowship program, which is really special to me because I participated in this as an agent a couple of years ago. The program is set up to fully fund six students uh, at $6,000 each to work at AALA member litter agencies for 10 weeks, um, which means that they'll be paid $15 an hour for those 10 full work weeks. So like closer to a living wage. During their programs, they're ideally exposed to all different parts of an agent's job in the publishing process and like all the day-to-day idiosyncrasies that come up. We also, on our end, on the committee, uh, work to provide the fellows with educational panels that feature different areas of publishing, like editorial, design, marketing, so that if agenting isn't quite for them, but they still want to be in publishing, they can get a little bit of exposure to those areas as well. So with this program, we're hoping to open doors for more underrepresented students who really deeply want to get into agenting, but would not ordinarily be able to do so because of the pay barriers. That's wonderful. I'm so happy that you are able to do that. If anyone out there is saying, oh my gosh, $15 an hour sounds like a lot. It's not in New York. No. It's not, we're, we're not asking to like, you know, get car service and helicopters and, you know, it's it's nothing that is extravagant there. It's just like, let's make this a little bit more possible. I definitely agree. It's just a baseline, but a much better one than a lot of agencies are able to provide. So we're happy to be able to do more. Can you anecdotally tell us a success story? The organization supported this writer. You don't have to say a name. It can be anonymous. And then this happened, you know, like they went from this internship to to this paying job or just to to hear we just would like to hear you know about some of the great things that have happened through this program the fellowship program launched in 2021 uh, with four fellows. We had five in 2022, and we have six this year for the 2023 summer season. Um, and a third of our fellows from the first two years are now employed in publishing. That's great. Are the fellows usually college students um, exploring or are they college graduates that are already launched? They're usually for the fellowship program, uh, college students or like students who just graduated this past semester. Um, We also make a point to recruit at uh, New York area schools that have majority BIPOC students like City College of New York, uh, Medgar Evers, Mercy College, Lehman College, um, and then some of New Jersey like Montclair, Rutgers, uh, William Patterson. Well, this, this appeals to me in so many different ways because I feel like if letting students explore publishing and explore, you know, how attuned they are to the work, how the work makes them feel, you know, actually really can solidify the charge to go forward mm-hmm. and and to figure out a path to make that happen. And we, you know, we talk a lot about that at the Manuscript Academy, like how can we support writers, but how can we also support agents? And I feel like, you know, when you're in a space where you get to look at both sides, it, it feels really good to know <laughs> that our business does does, you know, like help both the writers and the agents as they kind of launch their careers and hearing from them and getting to know them as, as they are, are launching has been really amazing. Can we talk a little bit about how it is good for everyone if agents are healthy and happy and not working for jobs and can afford to feed themselves? Yeah, it is so good. You know, just in terms of general well-being, of course, that being the most important part, again, especially for agents who are somehow marginalized. But it's better for the clients as well. An agent who is less burnt out is going to have more bandwidth to give faster feedback and better feedback on manuscripts, um, is going to have more time and more bandwidth to keep up with the trends in the industry and therefore know what's selling and what isn't so they can better advise clients. And also, I mean, agenting is a business of passion. So the less burnt out we are and the less stressed we are, the more of that passion we have to devote to these wonderful books. Well, and especially since so much of what we do requires a certain amount of inspiration, right? Mm -hmm. 
you know, we need to read a book from one of our clients. And this happened to me this week. I was thinking, I love this, but something isn't quite right. And Mm -hmm. you need to have that moment of thinking about it. And I like to set it down, do other things, you know, walk around, eat a snack, wait a couple days sometimes until my brain comes up with the answer. And it's not the sort of thing where there's always one right answer or there's always one way to do everything. But you need to have that mental space to just let your mind work in the background and say, oh, this will be so much more interesting if the setting is different. This will be so much more interesting if the character is doing something in their world. And that's just a level of being a person and being present that is so hard to do when you are exhausted. Yeah, exactly. I think I read, like if I'm just reading and don't have my editing brain turned on, I read very, very quickly and I'm lucky for that. But if I'm reading something with the purpose of giving notes to a client, it takes me so much longer and so much more energy. Because yeah, that editorial feedback and not only coming up with that feedback, but like shaping it into something that is actionable and understandable to tell to an author just takes up so much energy. And it's work that I absolutely love. It's my favorite part of being an agent. But yeah, it definitely does take up a lot of bandwidth. So I am always really, really grateful for times when I'm able to kind of quiet everything else and do that doesn't happen as much as I'd like. Can you talk about why it's important for authors and agents to have lived experience for the books that they're working on? Yeah, absolutely. I think at the very heart of the matter, stories from marginalized authors are not just majority stories with different characters plugged in. Like BIPOC stories are not just white stories, but with characters of color. You can say the same for LGBTQIA plus stories, stories by and about disabled people, neurodivergent people, truly any underrepresented group. So I I think that not only do we need the space for those stories to be sought and told, but we need diverse agents and other publishing professionals to work on them because those are the people who will understand them at their cores. Those are the people who will fight for the underrepresented authors and stories and keep those authors safe within the industry. Well, and isn't the world a better place if we all can move into a story that um, is in a world different than we are living in our own current situation and really understand what people have to endure or, you know, and the successes, you know, I feel like it's so great just to move into, I guess, just a cultural different space. And that's why it's so important. One thing I wanted to explore a little bit more with you, can you talk more about how an agent can protect an author throughout the publishing process, especially if they understand their experience isn't the one of the majority of the people in publishing? That's a great question. I wish I came up with that question. Same here. Agents at the very heart of our jobs are the author's advocate always. So as I'm sure your listeners know, the agent is like the go-between for the author and the publisher. So it's the agent's job to bring the insider industry knowledge to everything from their initial submission to their contracts negotiation to elements after the book is set to be published, like the cover and the marketing campaigns and so forth. So it's incredibly important for agents to always make sure that they are keeping authors' best interests at heart, especially for perhaps marginalized clients who would feel more comfortable working with a marginalized editor and team. The need to make sure that underrepresented clients are getting the money that they're due, um, because as we all know, there are a lot of studies out there showing that majority authors like white authors and cishet authors often are paid more um, for the same sorts of books. So it's an agent's responsibility to keep differences and biases like that 
that in mind and really go to bat for their authors where necessary. And I imagine things too, like not editing in a way that takes away the identity of the characters and not yeah say more. Absolutely. Uh, the same way that I was saying that, you know, BIPOC stories aren't just white stories with characters of color just plunked in there. These characters are going to have different experiences, different speech patterns. The stories are going to have different structures from what majority agents and editors may be used to. And it's never a majority agent or editor's job to stamp that out of a manuscript because those differences are exactly what we want to be elevating um, and giving to people who have never seen themselves represented the way that they intrinsically exist before. But also, like you were saying earlier, I, I think it's so important for readers who are of the majority to see that different experiences exist and different characters deserve to be the stars of the story. And I think there is also the thing, we also don't want people to be the one voice in a room for one perspective. We don't mm -hmm. want the entire room to turn to them and say, well, what do you think? And that is such a difficult position to put somebody in. We want everyone to have backup. We want everyone to have multiple perspectives in the room. So it's not always that enormous emotional labor of being treated like a monolith, right? So Right. And, you know, there are so many wonderful professionals who will do that kind of work like sensitivity readers who will do that work and be paid what they deserve for it as well so that professionals who are already burnt out and overworked and overwhelmed and scared don't have to be put on the spot like that. And we've talked a lot in the industry and on Twitter with things that have happened recently about the power differential or the assumed mm -hmm. power differential between agent and author. And I just can't imagine how much bravery it would summon to go to a majority agent and say, you're wrong about this edit because. Yeah, absolutely. And that's another thing. We're talking a lot about getting more underrepresented voices into publishing from the ground up, which is so, so important. And, you know, the only way this change is going to happen. But it's also really important to make sure that those people are retained and given the opportunity to grow within the industry. Uh, because a lot of the dynamics we're seeing now are that yes, we are getting more underrepresented voices into the industry, but only at the assistant and entry levels. Uh, those people aren't necessarily protected and mentored and fostered in the way that they should be. Um, so their turnover rate for them tends to be unfortunately quite high. So there's often a, a really unfortunate power dynamic imbalance of you know majority higher ups versus underrepresented workers at the lower level who right. would just constantly be having to go to bat in those ways. Which would be exhausting. Right. And add that on on top of having multiple jobs and everything else <laughs> happening too. That's that's so much to ask of somebody and that people are doing this is just to me like so much bravery and so much love and so much dedication. It's better for everybody if we just support people with that kind of passion. Yeah, exactly. Just a so much safer and such a better environment. And we're not going to see a more fair advanced structure until we have underrepresented people who are making the profit and loss statements, who are making the formula who are the ones who are signing the paper saying, yes, you can offer this large amount for this book. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, getting the underrepresented voices to that higher up stage of being the one who signs off is so, so important for letting these deals go through and for getting these books, not only the upfront money that they deserve, but the support and marketing attention and house that they deserve. Yes, that's a huge thing too. Like it's every step of the process. Getting these authors what they deserve is so like, it shouldn't be an uphill battle. I mean, and I suppose for every book, it is a lot of effort, a lot of time, a lot of commitment, you know, everyone paying attention at every step of the way. But just that there are so many steps where these writers need support, these agents need support, the editors in the room, if they are being turned to as what do you think need support. Um, there are so many ways that the industry benefits every step of the way, if we have more voices in the room. 
Right, exactly. And I think there are just so many more people involved in the publication process than a lot of readers and even a lot of writers think about. You know, it's not just the agent and the editor who are making a deal. That editor has to get support from so many different members of their own editorial team and then so many other different departments in-house. And a lot of the time when a book doesn't do as well as expected or doesn't quote-unquote live up to the large advance it's been given, it's because it didn't necessarily get as much in-house support as would have been preferable. So I think it's really important for the agent to know that they don't just have to be involved through this sale of the book. They have to keep fighting for the book and keep fighting for the author to get the attention and the support that they deserve throughout the entire process, even after the book is already published. As I'm listening to you both, I've learned so much from this conversation without truly understanding the intricate nature of how complex this problem is within the industry. Well, one of the weird things about our industry is that it takes years to learn. Right. Nobody mm-hmm. shows up and they're like, I spent six months on contracts. No, I'm an expert. And we're all like, ha 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 ha. I saw the cover <laughs> letter that said that once and we did all laugh. Um, oh, man. <laughs> but um, it's one of those things where it's it's so complicated. You need to put in so much time and so much dedication. And there's so many layers and it's all interconnected. Right. And so I think that you are doing a really vital thing to make it so that all these different branches of the industry can do better, can be better, can be more supportive and can finally achieve the goal so many people want of putting out the book that make it so people can see themselves in fiction in a really beautiful way and nonfiction. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's such a kind thing to say. Um, Yeah. I mean, like I was saying before, it's just one of the most frustrating things is like, there's no map for any of this. There's no blueprint. There's no like, okay, you do this and then these changes will happen and then you can springboard into this. We're all just kind of figuring it out as we go along. And I'm just so grateful for organizations like this and writers like yourselves who are committed to that change as well because I I think the only way it's going to happen is from the inside of the industry and I think there's kind of a win and doubt add good people Mm -hmm. I think that's probably a really good lesson across the board whether we're talking about politics or business or government whatever it is add good people and good things will happen and you're building an infrastructure for that we're trying thank you So if everything could go right, if you could wave a magic wand and make everything happen exactly as you would like in the next five years for your organization, what would you have happen? Well, uh, first of all, if the demographics of the publishing industry, both the workers and the books that are being put out, actually match the demographics of the very diverse United States, that would feel like a huge, huge win for us. And again, if employment in every part of the business would be as open and accessible to anybody, no matter what their background or their circumstances, that would also feel like a really huge win. And also on our level, if a person from a marginalized background working in the publishing business felt absolutely zero discrimination for their murder or stress from their jobs, we would just be overjoyed. So that's our perfect world. I know it's going to take a while to get there, but we're chipping away at it. That's a nice world. Yeah. We have a question. If you had Google level funding, what would you do? (laughs) Oh, goodness. You know, I'm not sure I am fully able to answer that being fairly new to the committee, but I think the first thing I would do personally would just be expand the two programs that we already have. So we talked about the fellowship program and I would be remiss if I didn't talk about the mentorship program as well. So the fellowship program is targeted at students who are trying to break into the industry. And the mentorship program is targeted at people who are already there, but need a leg up. It focuses on underrepresented agents who are maybe a couple of years into their careers and matches them with two agents who are much more established in the business, who can mentor them on anything from developing client careers to building their own personal brand as an agent, like the genres that they want to be known as an expert upon. And those mentors work with that mentee for a 
a year very intensively to answer all of their questions and help direct their career the way that they wanted to go so that they could actually remain in the publishing industry and grow a fruitful and safe career there. Well, in the way that you've mentioned that it is an apprenticeship job, it is a job where you have so many questions, there are so many things that can come up, and often there isn't one objective answer. So yeah. that they are given two people. So there's a second opinion for everything, in addition, of course, to all the support they are hopefully getting at their home agency. I think that's a lovely thing to do so that people can just, because it is an industry you learn by conversation, you are putting people there to have the conversation. Yeah, exactly. And like you said, there's no one right answer with a lot of agents questions. Really, I think the majority of agenting questions, I mean, even different agencies do things so wildly differently um, that getting answers and getting viewpoints from people who are more established in their careers, but also people who have a lot of these different perspectives is just invaluable. It's such a style choice. It's so interesting to me. And so you can't Google things like that. You know, yeah. what if your one boss is out of town and dropped her phone in a lake? What do you do? Okay, well, good thing you have these two mentors you can ask when something urgent and probably very stressful happens last minute. Right. Not that many people are dropping phones in lakes, I hope. I hope not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have been so incredibly lucky to have the best boss and mentor. And I know that a lot of people don't have that. So providing it to as many people, especially underrepresented agents who are trying to claw their way up in the industry is so, so important. Yeah. You can't grow without continued consistent support. Right. Not saying that that's an easy thing to offer your new agents, but when I see someone not have that, I worry a lot because there's so much that can go wrong. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I think sometimes even the most well-intentioned of mentors just get it wrong or just don't have the bandwidth to give what their mentee needs. So yeah, having a program that tries to directly combat and answer some of that is, I think, something the industry sorely needs. And it helps people stay. I mean, we want yeah. people to stay. It's so much work to get here. Now that you've done all that work, like I just hope that everyone ends up with the support that they need to feel responsible and good to their clients and not overwhelmed and able to do their best possible work because that makes the best possible books for all of us. Right. And if I can dive back into statistics for a minute, there are some really great ones for the mentorship program. 90% retention rate of mentee agents from the nice. first two seasons. Yeah. Three mentees from the 2021 and 2022 classes have actually gone on to become mentors themselves. And the mentorship program is now run by three former mentees. That's amazing. And I feel like, I mean, I don't know the statistics but I imagine someone who's not being mentored, they probably half leave in the first year. Yeah, I would imagine so. Or, you know, if not in the first year, then very soon afterwards, people who aren't feeling the support that they need, I think just feel so incredibly overwhelmed and bogged down and directionless in this industry and have to get out for their own safety. Yeah, well, I hope that someday there's a beautiful library of all of the books that were impacted by your programs and we can go see them and <laughs> see that they have this beautiful, full perspective that was not edited down along the way. And we can see just that there's this beautiful, protected, creative force out there because people are in place to help these books every step along the way. I love that so much. Yeah, please add that to my list of things I would do in a perfect world if I had Google level funding. I would 100% make that library. Done. Just did. Thank you so much. <laughs> 
You have to find right. a vision that fits yours. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the same way that we were talking before about how all agencies do things so wildly differently. Even if the end result is the same, the processes could look nothing alike. So yeah, I, I think knowing what kind of agent you want to work with, like the skills that they would have, the size of the agency, the size of their list and their career, having those things figured out beforehand is really important in figuring out who's actually a fit for your work. How can our listeners help? Right now, we're actually doing our first auction, which is really, really exciting. We have uh, over 120 donations from a lot of agents and editors, as well as some authors donating things like signed manuscripts and annotated manuscripts, artists offering like original sketches from picture books and and graphic novels, even more offbeat ones, like an author offering a tour um, of a New York City museum. So if you, yeah, lots of fun, right? I wish I could do it myself. If your listeners are able, able to do financially and want to bid on something. Um, I hope they find something they're interested in and we'd absolutely love that. But um, even just outside financially, spreading the word is so valuable. Um, Spreading the word about the auction, but really just spreading the word about the organization itself. I think we're doing really important work and would just be overjoyed for more people to know about it. Even a lot of agents tell us anecdotally that they hadn't known we existed. Yeah. And so some things you could do for free, you could follow them on Twitter. Do you have the Twitter handle? It's lit A-G-T-S of change. Great. The parameters of this auction, they're, they're going to be done fairly soon. Are you going to be doing it again? Um, do you have a donation button? Like, tell us more what we can do. We definitely do take donations at any time, uh, whether outside the auction, which does end at midnight on the 19th. So I know that's coming up best. But uh, yeah, we do take donations. Otherwise, um, if anybody has like the means to donate, that would mean so much. Literary Agents of Change is a 501c3 nonprofit. um, So donations are tax deductible to the extent permitted by law. For this particular auction, like I said, we have a really wide variety of prizes available, whether it's just somebody looking for a fun experience like the guided museum tours or somebody who really loves a book and wants to have a piece of it, like the art from published uh, picture books and graphic novels, or anybody who's an aspiring writer who wants more access to to agents and editors. Um, a lot of us, including myself, have devoted calls uh, where you can just ask us anything about publishing or where you can get consultation on a particular project. And a lot of us, including myself, have also donated written critiques of your manuscript. Wonderful. We will have the show notes, we'll have the website where you can donate and all the social medias to follow and to share. Um, <laughs> so tell us, what's your number one tip for writers? I think this is probably going to sound a bit corny, but I think my number one tip is always just keep going, keep writing, keep searching. So many of us are in this industry, whether as workers or as writers, because we feel that innate intrinsic pull to be here. And I think it's important to keep in mind that no matter how long it goes without responses, no matter how long the submission process takes, no matter how many no's you hear before you hear a yes, the world does need your story. It's just a matter of finding that perfect match for it. Thank you so much, Danielle. Thank you. Of course. We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. It not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our first pages podcast, you can send it to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with first pages podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com.